This holiday season, a lot of radio stations have stopped playing the song Baby It's Cold Outside due to its problematic lyrics. But good news for fans of the song, we here at Late Night with Seth Meyers have written a brand new, non-problematic version of Baby It's Cold Outside that you can still enjoy in 2018, and we're going to debut it right now. Give it up for the world premiere of Baby It's Cold Outside 2018. I fully respect that. <laughs> Baby, it's cold outside 2018, everybody! My name's Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Palindrome Hannah Rogers. Hey, Hannah. Hey, how's it going? I almost said, hey, Wayne, like I was really, really close. (laughs) (laughs) Just just messed up the entire cadence. How are you doing? Not not Wayne. (laughs) That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Who wants him anyway? No, I think he'll actually be back next week. But um, for a special show, which you'll see about that later. Assuming I didn't run out of, assuming I didn't get show order confused, which I've done in the past. No, so no, it. it's the special show next time. <laughs> okay, great. So anyway, how you been doing? It's the end of semester. Yes, uh, the snow is melting, and so that's fun. <laughs> you guys are no longer. You guys were in weird blizzard warning something or other for a while. Yeah, I know that the northern people will laugh, but we had like eight inches of snow, so I was stuck in the house for like three days. Uh, and then finally, like the plow trucks like drove into our uh, parking lot at like thirty miles an hour and like blitzed out as soon as they could. So that was fun. I just love how you think eight inches of snow counts as snow. Okay, it, it counts as, <laughs> look, if you have the infrastructure to deal with snow, it's fine. But like, it's really, really dangerous in the South. Also, no one knows how to drive. Uh, yeah, I, I was in Texas the one winter. It snowed in like 20 years and it was just in Houston and people were like, what is this? And it's snowing and they're crashing. And it's like, it's not, it's not snow. That's fluffy rain. It doesn't really count. It was barely anything. Anyway, so... Christmas theme show, not about dying in horrible car crashes in the snow. Um, <laughs> funny thing happens at Christmas, and this has happened the last couple of Christmases, and it happened again this year, and I figure it would be happening again this year. And it is in the modern era, we have people complaining one way or the other about the song Baby It's Cold Outside. Have you seen this? 
Always, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I saw it, and before, actually, I think before I seen anybody personally complain one way or the other, I did see the article about some radio station in Cleveland or somewhere deciding to ban it from their airwaves, and then immediately after that, I saw one of our regular guests, Natalie. Hey, Nat. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Well, Natalie, you posted something on Facebook, which I thought was great. What did you say about the song? Uh, I said that I haven't gotten the chance to partake in my favorite holiday tradition yet this year, which is defending baby. It's cold outside. And then you ended it with, (laughs) and if anybody has a problem with that, fight me. (laughs) Yeah, that's how I end a lot of things. Uh, I think my exact phrasing was, uh, baby, it's cold outside. It's a feminist anthem. Fight me, which is, of course, overly incendiary. But that's the only way to get anyone to fight you on social media, of course. That's not the only way that we can be fight. There's lots of really, trust me. I just really wanted to make sure that for the fourth or fifth year in a row, people were going to be fighting me on social media about it. So I just have to keep ramping it up, you know? Okay, just making sure because because I, I get in a lot of fights on on the internet. You can tell. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's far easier than that. Um, but anyway, I didn't really want to fight you because, believe it or not, you're a little more passionate about it. But I more or less agree with your basic premise for your argument. But I did think it was worth talking about. And it's like, hey, wait, I have a show where I can do that. <laughs> and so I wrote Hannah and I was like, hey, you want to do this? And Hannah said yes. And I thought I needed somebody else. And then there were some people that I have been dying to get on the show lately. And if you've been hearing them laugh in the background, that is Jesse and PJ of the Peep Show podcast. Hey, guys. And I think one of them left to go take care of a dog. Uh did that he? wasn't us. No, we're both here. <laughs> oh, that's Natalie's dog. I thought I, I thought I heard a dog too, but we uh, <laughs> we actually we are we here have in our dog, studio, but hoping actually... that our toddler does not wake up. But for now, it is all quiet on our front. Uh, that was Natalie's dog. Then I couldn't tell. <laughs> but yeah, we definitely have a dog. My mic is picking up everything right now, so it was probably my dog. <laughs> uh, welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> So you guys do a show that is all about sex, even more all about sex than this show is. <laughs> yes, that is true. No, we run the Peep Show podcast. It's a sex and social justice podcast. We bring on a lot of sex workers and artists and activists and writers to talk about different issues with sex. So I figured, well, you should at least have some kind of opinion on this song and... <laughs> I thought we're good at having opinions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are we. <laughs> so before we start, I'm just curious who actually likes the song? Cause I like the song. I like the song a lot. Now that said, I like a lot of really, really problematic stuff as has been explained on the show. Mm-hmm. Manimal being one of the best shows of all time. And Riverdale mm-hmm. is the best show ever. Mute Hannah's mic. <laughs> what do you, what do you mean? Like it? Like, do you mean, do you think, <laughs> I am sorry. I'm a philosopher. This is the most Jesse question. <laughs> so, so when you say the word like. Do you mean like it as a song? Like you think it's catchy or you think it has a good message or you think it should be banned off of radios, which is the discussion now? What do you, what do you mean? Do I, you like it? Well, take it however you want. What, what I meant when I said I actually like the song is I think it's catchy, but 
Don't feel limited by my answer, Ms. Ms. Philosopher. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. PJ, you go first. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually. Thank you for that clarification question. (laughs) Well, maybe I need such a question because I don't really have, I actually don't have very strong opinions about it. No, I think it's, I think it's a great song. Like I think musically speaking, and I think it like it cuts two ways. First, I think it's a really nice song that can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. It's cute. It's a duet. The harmonies are really lovely. And it's also a nostalgia bomb, like on a pure, <laughs> like uncritical level. Um, <laughs> I, I just like the song. And I like many different versions of the song. I mean, I also hate some versions of the song. PJ has actually listened to like days worth of versions. Yeah, I mean, that's the amazing thing. You can make a Spotify playlist of like 200 (laughs) versions of the song. You, and you can oh. just hate yourself. I mean, I like the song, and I don't want to do that. No, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a bad place. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I mean, I, I hate. I hate myself for three minutes sometimes when, like, a bad version of the song. Like, there are definitely some more recent pop recordings of the song that I won't name that are, um, y- you know, really kind of bleed all that, of the soul out of it. Uh, <laughs> but I, you know, on the whole, no, there's really a lot of lovely versions of it. And I enjoy the process of continually discovering the way that people uh, put new creativity into kind of the same template, you know. He was listening to it for a couple of hours tonight and a Willie Nelson version came on and that one With got Nora to Jones. Mind. Yeah, that one really got to me. It was beautiful. <laughs> but I like Willie Nelson. Yeah. <laughs> Jesse, do you have an opinion yet or should I come back to you? Oh, whether I like the song? Yeah. I don't know. It's I, I yes, it's nice. It's a pleasant song. I don't have as strong of opinions about it as PJ does. I'm not a big Christmas music person. So I'm not <laughs> so I don't know. I'm kind of I I don't have a strong opinion. Hannah, you you know I hate this song. Like yeah, I, I know that's I, why I, that's why I really wanted you to be here. I really it, it comes second in worst Christmas songs, only bested by "Do They Know It's Christmas," which has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's a terrible song. Like, All I would, like we can I'm also politely on the disagree do, do about "Baby It's Cold Outside," song. which I I suppose we will in a minute. <laughs> Uh, but if you think Do They Know It's Christmas is a good song, you are a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Natalie, would you like to defend Do You Know It's Christmas? <laughs> I would not like to defend that song. I think that song is possibly indefensible. Uh, I love Christmas music, I think, but Baby It's Cold Outside is one of my favorite Christmas songs. I've got like six different versions of it on my Christmas playlist. Um I, I just, I genuinely love the song. Well, so if you're reading the blog already, you've, um, which you should be, www.boxpodcast.com for the cheap plug of my own thing. I posted some of what Natalie said, but for the people who are too lazy to go on the internet and click our link and make me happy and give me a reason to live, Natalie, please summarize your reason for, actually, which which way should we go? Should we go... Why to hate the song first or why to like, I think we should go with Natalie first since it was her idea to form the show. So Natalie, briefly, why do you think it's a feminist anthem? Um, That's such a big question. I feel like I'm going to do your whole show right here in the first like five minutes. Um, 
So I've been having this argument for like five years over whether Baby It's Cold Outside is a fate rape anthem, whether it's secretly feminist, whether it's just a Christmas song and we're all over-criticizing everything now and all of these snowflake millennials are too sensitive. Um, and I come down on the side, on the hard side of feminist anthem because at its heart, Baby It's Cold Outside is about a woman who desperately wants to stay at this man's house and have sex with him. And he's giving her reasons that will allow her to do that uh, mm-hmm. when she's very much concerned with the social constrictions. Like, what will my dad think? What will my mom think? What will the neighbors think? What will my spinster aunt think? She goes through all of these people. And at no point does she say, I don't want to stay. At no point does she say, I don't want to do this. In fact, the very few times we get her genuine opinion about herself, it's all, um, you're very charming and this is a wonderful idea and I wish I could go home, but I just really don't want to. And I think that's very empowering, especially if you consider the fact that this is a very nostalgic song. We think of it as being from a different era and in that era, women had much less sexual agency than they do today, even in our era of very limited sexual agency. We haven't really progressed that much. Um, Hannah, counterpoint. Okay. uh, Well, look, I I know a lot of people point to the line about what's in the string, but that's not my problem with it. I know that we'll talk about like the historicism of that line in a bit, probably, I assume. But what, what really creeps me out about this song is the lack of affirmative consent. Like I, I understand how social mores work and how women are judged for staying out with a dude, especially in that time. But at one point she says, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. And a no should be a no. And on top of that, uh, even if she's using like excuses like my sister will be suspicious, my brother will be there at the door. It, it doesn't matter what her reason for saying no is. It's still a no. So there, it becomes this weird blurred line between coercion and consent. And I don't know if you guys know this, but I study the 18th and 19th centuries. Wait, um, I've heard that somewhere before. Um, and actually, like uh, one of my friends um, who uh, went to Mississippi State as a master's student when I was an undergrad. <laughs> Did you seriously hold on? I, Did you seriously get both the plug for the 18th century and Mississippi? And you, you just took both of your your catchphrases and just merged them. That, that was almost masterful. I am very impressed there. <laughs> I'm here. I, look, I'm just trying to cite my sources and be a good colleague. Man. Um, anyway, uh, one of my colleagues. Um, was like posted on Facebook and both on Twitter. And we had a conversation about baby. It's cold outside. And when we think about, you know, uh, examples from the 19th century or something like Evelina or pride and prejudice, you know, there are examples in those novels where women are expected to say no, even if they want to say yes. Like at the end of Evelina, the guy she wants to marry literally has to hold Mm -hmm. her physically in a room to be alone with her to propose because you know a proper young woman shouldn't be alone with a man but he can only propose to her if they are alone or in prime prejudice uh elizabeth ben's not taken seriously at first when she says no to mr collins because he thinks that you know women play hard to get and in fact you know people have asked me about the song isn't she just playing hard to get and so it's not necessarily that it's a song about rape even though it might sound rapey it's a song about the importance, well, the lack of affirmative consent and the reason why we need it. Because there is like blurred lines. Oh, God, I used the term blurred lines. <laughs> oh, you, you accidentally said there are blurred lines. That's Twice so now. awesome. And, and no, not being edited out. Oh. <laughs> oh, I hate myself. 
I'm done. <laughs> you should just play the, the, the bass line at the beginning every time she says that. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not making blurred lines a recurring joke on the show. We already we already have enough of those. No. <laughs> but it, we need affirmative consent. End of story. Done. Fair enough. So let's start there because I actually think that's an interesting place that is not usually really really harp on as Hannah said oh. the what's in this drink line which it doesn't mean what you think it meant at all there and I understand the problematic nature of that maybe we'll get into it later but okay affirmative consent yeah that is possibly an issue especially with the one line that specifically says the answer is no I, I'd say that that is probably the one strongest pointing in Hannah's direction what do other people think I don't know. I understand what she's saying. I think I fall more along Natalie's lines here, but I'm actually thinking about this idea of affirmative consent and the entire idea of affirmative consent is something that is, uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this, um, is situated in like our time period. I think it would be somewhat anachronistic to talk about what affirmative consent would look like dialogically or in discourse in the time that it was written. I would actually, um, cause a lot of the argument is that uh, historical context doesn't matter to a modern audience. A lot of our modern audiences who are listening to this on the radio don't know how to historically contextualize the music they're hearing. Um, and I think that's a valid argument, but actually go back even further and say that there is affirmative consent in this song. And it's when the two voices join at the end to say, baby, it's old outside. That is her affirmatively consenting to everything that's been happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I but think that's a good point. At the same time, couldn't you say that then joining together is also him just wearing her down after a point? Because what is the difference between coercion and consent? Uh, like, wh- where is the line between the point where he is kind of like talking her into something that she doesn't necessarily want to do and her making a decision for herself? I don't, I, it just... But, do, but does she ever say that she doesn't want to do it? I mean, she says that there's all these reasons why she shouldn't, but she doesn't actually... She does say in the, and there are various versions. I, uh, I'm sure PJ knows that you listen to 847 <laughs> versions this week, but um, there are varying versions of the lyrics in the original as ri- I believe in the original as written by, um, by Losser and his wife, whose name I forget right now, yeah, which is awful. L- Losser and Lingard yeah. Garland. Um, in the original, there is a line where she does say specifically the answer is no. To which he responds, baby, it's cold, cold outside. So there is most of the bits is, well, what will my dad mm-hmm. think? What will my mom think? What will my sister think? There is one time where she specifically says the answer is no. And they continue singing. I mean, I would agree that feels pretty anachronistic to me. Um, it, you have this issue where uh, there was an expectation of modesty at that moment in time. So to negotiate affirmative consent with these kinds of um, norms or of modesty in place, actually, I think is deeply intention. Um, and I think we have to actually step back from, from those norms of modesty before we can even have a kind of meaningful framework for um, affirmative consent. I mean, that's probably extreme and overstated. It's probably not that black and white, but uh, but I do think it matters that uh, the emphasis at that moment in time was far more on modesty for for uh, women. And I think it does come at the expense mm-hmm. of um, our ability to negotiate the affirmative consent. Um, but I, I agree that also raises the much broader question of how much do we re- weight do we really put on 
historical context. And personally, I'm kind of ambivalent about that. Um, I do really like the song, but I think we have to ask like which song and what context. So I think talking about what, like, as you mentioned, the lyrics do change. Um, I don't think there's one version, just one version of the song. So if you watch the movie version, like the choreographed movie version, um, Dean Martin. Which, uh, no, for the okay. original, which is uh, Neptune's Daughter, and is 1949. So it was like when the rights for the song were originally obtained. And it was uh, Esther Williams and Ricardo Montalban. Um, <laughs> I have seen that as well. It is really creepy. Honestly, it's like a cringy. It's really cringy. Like it's it's super aggressive. He's like pushing her down on the couch. Um, it feeds into you know, any sort of narrative about the song being rapey about it. It's not even about affirmative consent at that point. It just feels like he's forcing her yes, to stay. I have seen that version. Yeah. And I mean, that, you know, and, and was how the song was introduced to the world. You know, at the same time, literally in the same movie, you have a comedic version of it where there's a switch and you have, oh, who is the woman? It's Red Skelton and uh, an actress that I can't think of. But, you know, where then she plays the aggressive role and he's trying to convince her to leave, not to stay. And so you have like, you know, a, a, a very a compete, at least it's... Um, I don't know. I, I don't know how to interpret it because I think there's a way in which it reinforces the gender norms at the time by sort of parodying them. But there's also a way in which I think that having a woman enact those aggressive, um, non-consensual behaviors also does to some degree cast a critical lens on the Ricardo Montalban character. So, uh, it's interesting. I, I think that uh, even in that like original movie, that original document that introduces the song to us or to the world more broadly, we see like that it's highly interpreted and how it performed it, how and in what context it performs, it is performed matters. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, that's kind of where I'm going to stick to in terms of my opinion. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about modern pop versions of this song that are sung uncritically being played in the mall. Like, I don't know what the politics of that is, but I do think that when a modern singer like in the Me Too era uncritically sings the what's in this drink line, we we can question that. Um, and, and there are recording artists today who haven't done that, like she and him a few years ago, uh, uh, the Zoe Deschanel, you know, band, uh, recorded a switched version where she plays the masculine role, uh, the historically masculine role, by the way, these two roles on the original score, they're called, yeah, they're not called yeah. male and female, they're wolf and mouse, um, wolf, wolf and mouse, mouse, mouse right? Seems mouse. predator yeah. prey to me, but I'm just saying, no, I agree. It does seem predator prey. And I think that's, that's, I think we should acknowledge that. Like there are, there is a good case to be made that certain, at least certain performances of this song are Can we talk about the rapey. Doris Day and Bing Crosby version, please? He's like <laughs> 20 years older than her. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it just, he just is very, you know, there's there's definitely a power dynamic whenever someone is much older. And of course, in any sort of like Hollywood music industry 
older guys are all always seem to be cast over, you know, with like young women stars. There's like, I think like a 20 year age gap on average, um, between like a lot of like male, like older male co-stars and like their young leading ladies or something like that. But, you know, it, it really like, you know, gives him much more power than Doris Day in that song. Whereas like, and I'm not saying I like this version, but you know, Idina, Men- Idina Menzel and like Michael Bublé did a version where they tried to be like more flirty with it, which is kind of, you know, yeah. despite it being in the modern era, it was more of the intent of the song. Like I understand what the intent of the song was. I don't think they were trying to be rapey. It just comes off that way. There is interview stuff out there that makes it very clear that Lost Learning Garland did yeah. not intend it to be that way. It, it is very much intended to be a song about her yeah, looking for excuses to say. That. Yeah. that said, doesn't yeah. matter. The author is dead. So. We all scream at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, because I don't believe that. I think that's a, that's like a really popular line in the humanities, and like I I appreciate that. I don't actually yeah. think to most people in the world intent doesn't matter but i also don't think it's the only thing and i think we need to be able to like walk and chew bubblegum at the same time like i do think it matters i think it matters that the song was written for them to perform as a husband and wife duo in the 1940s under a certain set of circumstances i don't think we just throw that out i think that at the very least like you know these songs deserve some sort of preservation, you know, whatever the audio version of a museum is. But I, 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 I think we can make a case that they deserve more than that. And I certainly don't want to just erase that history and take like a radical postmodern stance that, you know, only how we interpret songs now based on our current historical context matters. I don't actually think that's very intuitive to most people outside of like humanities classes. Well, I think too, that based on both intentions of the author and the context of the song, I mean, outside of these two really problematic lines, the answer no and say what's in the string, a lot of the song is very affirmative. I mean, at one point, the um, the masculine role says, mind if I move in closer, that's asking, can I come closer to you? He says uh, at some point, um, I feel when you touch my hand, not when I touch you, it's when you touch me, when you are making action. Um, so I think there is a lot of affirmative consent in the song. And I think there's a lot of positivity in the song that we can glean from. I mean, it's a mixed bag for sure, but it's not entirely rapey is where I'm coming down on it. I mean, I mean, we always talk about the bad parts of the song, but never about like the explicitly good parts, not even the ambiguous parts, the explicitly good parts. Mind if I'm getting closer. No. Not entirely rape. Exactly. I, yeah. That, and I don't, for the record, I don't hate the song just because I find it a little bleh. I, I actually have just, it's been overplayed. Like much like, uh, do they know it's Christmas? Um, it's been overplayed on my radio <laughs> station so much where I just kind of want it to go away. Um, but I, I think that, like, I mean, it's like what we say with, like, you know, Pride and Prejudice or, like, Evelina. Like, there are these moments that are very iffy or that can reinforce, like, bad behavior, but there's also these really positive moments. So it's it's not just black and white, which is a good thing for the show, or it would end in like two minutes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why this is perennially debated, right? Like, because at the end of the day, the, 
the song itself, like first off, because there really is a tension between how this was interpreted in the 1940s and how it's interpreted now. Like there's been a massive historical shift. Um, it, you know, it wasn't the case that we were even having these conversations in the 90s. So first off, like these conversations kind of say more about the Me Too moment than they do about the song. Mm -hmm. um, but second, I think that, again, I want to focus on the actual performances, too. I think that there's variation within these different performances and how the song is performed matters. I mean, I think you could make a, a dark <laughs> version of this song. I think if the song didn't uh, resolve in a major, you know, uh, harmony, we could we could say that hmm, maybe she really doesn't want to stay. Right. Like you could resolve it in a minor harmonic like you you could. Let me ask a question to the group then that like sort of incorporates both of the things you're saying, because one of the things that I wanted to move on to is whether you're going to buy into <laughs> Le Mort de la Tour, which we've done a whole show on, go back and listen to it or not. It That doesn't necessarily matter because. Yes, we are in a different cultural moment in 2018 than we were in 1944. That said, yeah, the song was recorded in 1944. It was recorded again this year, probably several times, but I'm aware of at least one new version. The Menzel and Bublé version is one of my absolute favorites, actually, for a reason that I might get into later. But there are different versions. And no matter what the intent was for Garland and Lasser, you know, if you're dropping a new version of that song in 2018, you know when you live, you know what the world is today, you know how people are going to read that song. So you should be aware of it or you're an idiot. So, yeah, there are different versions. There's a Saturday Night Live version where they changed the lyrics entirely to make it very clearly a, a rapey song. But I think. Without even doing that, I think tone of the singers, I think the way it is played, if you're looking at a music video, I think those matter. And who sings what part? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah I've also seen it reversed. I've seen several homosexual versions. So I, I think that matters. But I think also, how do you reconcile? We, we talk about it a lot. What, you know, what's in this drink? Well, we talk about it in context of that was written in 1944. That's actually a common gag. It's it, the, the, the intent is probably nothing's in the drink. That's the joke. She's just trying to give her, give herself. She's giving herself an excuse there as opposed to him giving her one. But that's something you have to be culturally aware of, and you're never going to pick that up on from the radio in 2018. <laughs> but that said, if Buble and, and Menzel say it in 2014, no one's going to know that. So how do you reconcile that? I mean, like you and I in particular teach like creepy, bad, racist, sexist things all the time. All the time, right? right. Absolutely. Like, yeah. yeah. Again, for, for context of anybody who's never listened to the show before, I love teaching Tarzan. It's one of my favorite books to teach. It is deplorable in every possible way. And I think everybody should read it. So fair, fair enough. <laughs> so but, the song being yeah. rapey wouldn't stop me from thinking people should listen to it because I think there's something to be learned from rapey songs. But we, we spend a lot of time when we teach these things, talking about and contextualizing it mm -hmm. and talking not just about history but also about critical theory how different ways you interpret it and that like just someone listening to this on the radio in like 
I don't know, a series of three or five songs before they go to commercial without any con- context whatsoever. Like, is that different? Is there a way to like solve this problem? Like of people misinterpreting things? Because if, if you just hear the line, but is it the job of like radio stations to provide context and contextualize things for listeners? Like what's the solution here? Is there a solution? Well, and I think we're having the solution right now. Every year we have this conversation about whether or not Baby It's Cold Outside is a date rape anthem, right? And I think that these conversations in and of themselves, outside of the context of the song, are very valuable. I mean, we have conversations about affirmative consent. We have conversations about uh, not drinking things from strangers. We have conversations about uh, how our media affects us in real life. And I think that those conversations that we have every year about this song are valuable, even if they are tiresome, in my opinion. Uh, I'm, I'm sick of defending the song, honestly. Um, I wish we could move on to a different song, but I'm glad that we have these conversations. Oh, oh we will. We're, we're going to do that before the show's over. <laughs> oh, good, good. So we, great. Can we uh, talk about do they know it's Christmas? <laughs> God, do we have, do we have to? <laughs> uh, no, no, it's fair. No. That, that song should be banned. I don't think it should be banned. I just think it's, I, I just think it's not very good. No, it's not good. I don't. I I wouldn't say banned. I just would say, why are you playing this on the radio when you can play literally any other Christmas song, like Stevie Wonder's "What Christmas Means to Me," or even Santa Baby, which I don't like either. Oh, but the Michael Bublé version of Santa Buddy, much better. (laughs) Well, hold on. They fixed that song. (laughs) Part of it is just that. Christmas is so much about nostalgia that there is a lot of inertia to changing what songs we listen to, like by default, by because of the. I mean, we still watch yeah. the Penis Christmas. I, right? I want to tie those together a little bit, though, because we, we're talking about can we talk about their songs? I think that if you are going to take a song like Baby It's Cold Outside and there is a nostalgia element and it is problematic. Sure. I agree with Natalie. I think that if nothing else, the fact that even before the Me Too movement as a, you know, as a formalized hashtag, but certainly going back about the last four, five, six years, if nothing else, every Christmas people have arguments on Facebook about what consent means because of this song. And if nothing else, that's a good enough reason for it to play yeah. as mm-hmm. much as possible as far as I'm concerned. That's why I teach Tarzan. I mean, I teach Tarzan because it is fucking racist. Mm-hmm. And I never tell the kids that it that it's racist. I just start teaching it. And then three weeks in, uh-huh. it's halfway through the book and says, excuse me, I have a question about this. Is Tarzan lynching people? And I say, yes, he is. Or one time a kid said, I didn't like this because he's basically lynching people. And I was, and I was like, he's not basically lynching people. He's entirely lynching people. <laughs> he's hanging black people. That's what he does in the book. Again, you should read Tarzan. And I think it's useful to read that book if for no other reason than to have that <laughs> have that conversation. I think it's useful to read the you know, I teach Tarzan. Hannah teaches horrific books. <laughs> They're all about <laughs> caging women and, and just repeatedly raping them until they marry you, which is, you know, the plot of several books from the Victorian period. Well, actually, usually if you rape a woman, she just dies. Yeah, that's true. You, you, she doesn't marry you. She dies. It's the threat of um, rape. It's the kidnapping until they get <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome. Right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, uh, basically, yes. Uh, but, to be clear, uh, you know, 
if you get raped, you die. Okay. Unless it's poetry. <laughs> poetry, poetry, not so much. You can live in poetry. Um, well, but yeah. Or if you're evil, if you're an evil woman, then you can have sex consensually and still. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but usually you die by the end of the book too. That's yeah. true. <laughs> well, anyway, so we teach these problematic books, and I think. Yeah, we're doing it in an academic setting, a very controlled setting. But this is another one of those shows where everybody here teaches college classes. And when we teach a college class, we entirely control the environment, right? Like we know we know what we're going to do. We know what we're going to ask. So, yeah, that's not just no, not I don't mean. Yeah, yeah, sure. Like things. But I mean, it's not it's not like the radio where you're just tossing a tossing a song out there. But I don't think that necessarily, you know, to PJ's point, I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, because I think when you I guess it's more Jesse's point, I, I, I don't know that it's the job of the radio DJ, but I don't know that it needs to be, because if nothing else, every time this happens, you know, there's a reason Natalie gets to have this argument once a year. And for the last five years, if nothing else, making people maybe talk about consent at Christmas time, that there's usefulness in that, I think. Like, it, and if, if it's happening organically, and my problem with Do You Know It's Christmas is I don't know that that song does that. It's just awful. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, everything about it, it's sort of okay. I don't like it because it's a song about the, the it's, it's essentially hegemonic enforcement of Christianity. You know, like <laughs> our world's better because we have Christmas and they don't know about Christmas in Africa because natives are stupid. <laughs> that, that's, they, that's, that's the song. And I don't know yep. that there's anything to learn from it in that nobody's really criticizing it. But maybe if you keep playing it, maybe they'll start to. I, <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I whine. I mean, I've been whining about since I was like, in high school because guess what guys it does snow in africa <laughs> but i mean they still keep remaking it like in 2014 they like remade it and they re-recorded it to deal with like not just like it originally was recorded for like the uh um famine in ethiopia in the 80s and then it was re-recorded to raise money for ebola like sold millions of copies over the years and honestly i i don't know if people do think about it critically because a lot of students seem to think that Africa is a country. A lot of presidents seem to think that Africa is a country. So, you know. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> or, you know, one of them. <laughs> the, 100% of the presidents that we currently have don't know that Africa is a continent. <laughs> yeah. I'll defend my students a, a little bit. I mean, certainly they have growth uh, that they need to do, but. I can confidently say that all of my students come into my classroom recognizing that Africa is a uh, continent with a diverse range of countries. smarter than the president. Wonderful. I don't have that much faith in my students. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, not, I'm actually not throwing shade at my students. These are other people that I've run into uh, actually in my undergraduate classroom. So I guess I'm throwing shade at my peers. <laughs> Former peers. Former <laughs> poor peers. Uh, I guess I'm. I guess I'm multiple states away, so they can't find me now. <laughs> I hear you're from Mississippi. Um, <laughs> so, can I bring it back to this overarching question, though? Because I think there's this case um, that even if "Baby It's Cold Outside" is a, an intrinsically bad song, it could still do some good. Sure. And I, you know, though I 
agree, including that original like Venus, uh, Neptune's Daughter movie, think there are bad mm-hmm. and rapey versions of the song. I want to claim that the song isn't intrinsically bad and that there are good versions of the song that aren't rapey. And like, I would rather occupy the position that like good versions of the song can be good and bad versions of the song are bad. And I would love to have that conversation about, uh, doing the song well. Uh, and I would actually go back to reference the Pearl Bailey's version of the song, which also came out in 1949, the same year as Neptune's Daughter. Um, so it was released like right after the movie, like to capitalize on the movie. But there you have two, you know, black singers, um, Pearl Bailey, who famously did like a whole series of quote unquote for adult only records. So it was like, you know, considered to be like a body singer, you know, jazz singer of her time. And in that version, there is uh, like in between the back and forth lyrics, there's also a lot of like jesting and counterpoints that they slip in in between the lyrics. In that version, they make it clear that Pearl Bailey or whoever the you know uh, character of the song is, is really trying to make the male mm-hmm. vocalist vague, essentially, that by kind of continually saying no, she's forcing him ultimately to admit to suck up his pride and like really beg her to stay rather than just like making a bunch of uh, dumb excuses. And you also get like these counterpoints in between the lines where when he says, mind if I move in closer, she's like, oh, baby, of course not. Right. So it's, it is mm-hmm. like very, very affirmative consent in that version. And this is a 1949 version. I'm not talking about like something was recorded two years ago. I mean, we can dig up that version from the same year that the really, really awful version was released and find like a really, really good version that even has something that we kind of anachronistically might view as affirmative consent. And I think we should learn from that. That's what we need to kind of model is like, what does it take to do this song well? And I think to me, that's the much more interesting question than like, is this song intrinsically good or is it intrinsically bad? It's like, how do we do this song? Well, well, I don't know that any song is intrinsically anything. And I think that I think that I think that is a fair question. That's my whole dissertation is adaptations make things better. So I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, when we take these songs, and I personally love the uh, the Lady Gaga, Jessica Gordon-Levitt version. That's not actually on Spotify. I think it's only on YouTube because I did an award show or something uh, where the roles are reversed. And it's very much in this very flirty kind of manner that I think is mm-hmm. echoing the original version a lot more than, say, the, the she and him version, which I'm not a fan of. So I'm wondering, we talked very briefly about do they know it's Christmas and since nobody wants to argue for that. But we had questions on the website about, you know, other songs that also might be considered problematic. Chris Flick left a comment where he said, for a while I've made a comparison between Baby It's Cold, It's Outside and Let It Snow. They are essentially the same songs. The only difference is that we get to hear both sides in Baby while Let It Snow is sung in the first in the first person. You take away the female duet lyrics of Baby and the dude actually comes off as being pretty heroic, caring and very concerned uh, person about the girl's safety. No. And Let It Snow, the dude is hoping that it snows more, the better chance that he'll get laid. 
yet no one seems to have a problem with Let It Snow or cause for boycotting that song. Should we boycott Let It Snow? Well, the idea, I think, is that the snow is preventing the girl from leaving, so they will get to have sex inside, not in the snow. That's so funny. <laughs> I've never had that thought about that s- song. Every single time I've heard it, I've thought of sitting and having a glass of wine and reading a book. Like, I've never thought about having sex in the snow. <laughs> I don't know. No, I agree. I had to just pull up the lyrics just now and be like, "Is are they really comparable? And yeah, they are. There's lines like, when we finally kiss tonight. Uh, yeah, it's definitely the masculine perspective of baby it's cold outside. No, 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 no. I understand that. I was just, I, it, it was, it was just interesting because I imagined being alone in a house and being like, oh, I can stay inside and read a book. I didn't imagine there being another person there. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's at her house in that song. He's trying to not leave as opposed to trying to keep her from leaving. He's trying to find excuse to stay. Well, we as a society are fine with masculine perspectives, not leaving women's house. (laughs) I think we've established that in recent years. Maybe. What do you mean when you say that? What do you think? What other examples are you thinking of? Just in general, the Me Too movement, honestly. Um, I, I don't think we question masculine perspectives as much as we do when it's a feminine or a dual perspective like it is in Baby It's Cold Outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because Baby It's Cold Outside is about a woman who, you know, in theory wants to stay to get laid. We feel totally fine questioning that and really analyzing it and getting down to the nitty gritty and comparing lines and Mm -hmm. doing a statistical analysis of, okay, how many times does she say she doesn't want to stay versus how many times does she say she wants to? And then in a song like Let It Snow, which admittedly I've also never considered, but looking at the lyrics right now, I'm like, yeah, it's it's the same thing. No one's ever questioned. No one ever brings it up. And I'm willing to put that at the feet of the patriarchy myself. Fair enough. (laughs) So is it the case that we should just be, and again, unfair place to ask it because it's on this show and even the new people host a show similar enough to this to where I know the answer, what, how they're going to feel personally, but should we be thinking how do we question the gender dynamics of literally every song that's on the radio? Because I think you could. I think that my career relies on the fact that you could. But um, but I, yes, is that something that people should just be doing? Should people be listening to Let It Snow and go, wait a minute? Mm-hmm. I mean, surely there are versions of Let It Snow sung by yeah. women. <laughs> there are. I, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I would, you know, bet my mortgage mm-hmm. on it. <laughs> Wait, hold on, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, that's that's debt. It's okay. <laughs> oh, okay, all right then. <laughs> they can have it. <laughs> and actually, for the longest time, I didn't know "Let It Snow" wasn't supposed to be a duet <laughs> because in my fifth grade Christmas pageant, oh god, I'm telling stories about mm-hmm. my life. Um, they made it into a duet for a boy and a girl so they could give more parts away. So it, it can be sung as a duet. I don't know. I don't think it really is uh, by anyone but kids in a pageant, you know, but oh, no, there are recorded versions that are duet. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but there definitely are where um, I've had Christmas albums where multiple people sing it. So absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to be critical about every song we listen to. I mean, part of the reason why I mostly just listen to Kesha is because her (laughs) lyrics are like so fun to analyze, you know, and she like does play with gender dynamics and stuff in her lyrics. It may not always work, but. Does Kesha have a Christmas album? 
She does not, but uh, Kesha, this is my uh, pitch to you. Uh, <laughs> Big fan of the show, Kesha, sure. <laughs> okay, so next one that I wanted to wonder about is one of my favorites that someone, someone brought up somewhere else, and I don't remember who. Uh, um, uh, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Whose uck was it? Whose gross was that? I think that was me and Hannah. Oh, both. Either one of you. Tell me. <laughs> I think it's just such a weird, creepy song about a child witnessing something that could theoretically in a child's mind be construed as adultery and like a weirdly sexual song, especially when it's sung today. It's, it's weird. It's a weird song. I'm not a fan of. It makes me feel weird. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I, I merely have one word to add to that, which is Freud. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of think it's cute. I don't. <laughs> yeah, sure. I think it's cute when I sang it for my like elementary school pageant. When an adult like Jessica Simpson sings it, it's really weird. <laughs> I don't know. There's something to me that's nice about the idea of like for if kids having parents that they see actually being in love and getting a, I, I don't know. It, I think that that sort of like affirmation of like the parents at the center of like, uh, it doesn't, it, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it like that before, but it seemed to me not to be super creepy and rather just about a kid figuring out how, like where the center of their like household is and not in the fantastical, but in like the love of the parents. Yeah. I mean, we see the same thing so, in like uh, a daddy looks a lot like Santa, right? It's a song about losing your innocence. But mm -hmm. what I think about an adult woman singing, uh, I saw mom, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. It takes on this weird sexual losing of the innocence that I think is just strange. And I'm not wanting to ban it on any radio station, by the way. Like, I, I, I just... Because the parents are kissing or what? what is the... I don't know. I didn't think about this song as much as Baby It's Cold Outside in preparation for this podcast. And I'm not willing to ban it. I just also think that the conversations around yeah. it are much more taste-centered than they tend to be about Baby It's Cold Outside. Right? So, like, taste-centered? So, people, like, like I don't like it because it feels creepy. But I can't really defend that. I can't really point to the lyrics and say it feels creepy because of this right here. It's just a song that I'm not a fan of. And I also don't like a lot of the the more I'm getting up for Christmas songs yeah. or like the songs that are sung by mischievous children catching Santa Claus. I think those are really creepy just from a personal taste standpoint. So I should say <laughs> that I was afraid of Santa when I was a little kid. As we all should be, honestly. <laughs> like I would tell my parents that I wanted Santa to leave all the presents on the doorstep. So perhaps... <laughs> <laughs> perhaps to me it doesn't yeah. seem like a loss of innocence but rather like a security to know that santa is actually your other parent you're just like oh thank god santa's not real do they know that though it, it feels voyeuristic a little bit yeah so that's why i picked this one because i find that one in particular very interesting in that i can see at least three interpretations of i saw mommy kissing santa claus interpretation one the kid knows that daddy is Santa Claus and this is the kid's way of sort of expressing that, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is kind of a weird thing, but it's a, yeah, okay, Santa's not real. Mm -hmm. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. It's dad, right? right? That's, that's one possibility. Yeah. Interpretation two, the kid doesn't know that Santa 
is dad. For some reason, daddy and mommy are doing like a little Christmas role play in their outfits. And kid thinks mom is now kissing Santa Claus and is either watching because they're confused or they're kinky or for whatever reason, the kid has decided to watch mommy kissing Santa Claus, not knowing it's dad possibility and could be super creepy or, you know, childlike inquisitive about sex and relationships or whatever. And then interpretation three is that Santa Claus is not dad. It's either the real Santa or it's just some other guy in which case now the kids watching mommy with, you know, swinging with Santa three possibilities. I think it's more than that. I mean, cause where my head goes is, Oh, like it's some Hallmark movie where a single mother meets Santa Claus and, you know, like, finds love. like, like that's what I imagine. I just, wow. assume, like, I don't even think like, I'm just like, Oh, maybe mommy's not married. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, like I, I, uh, yeah. I, I, for listeners last week, we did do a show. Hannah and I did a show with, um, Hannah's sister and, and my wife where we talked about Netflix holiday movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's going to be one next year. You realize that, right? Yeah, <laughs> that I movie has that. to exist. It has to exist. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's sort of like the Santa Claus too, except she's the principal and like he has the kid, but still it's there. But uh, I know way too much about cheesy Christmas movies. Um, but actually, can we can we like rewind like five minutes and talk about how creepy Santa Claus is? Like Santa Claus is coming to town, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. It's a Foucauldian panopticon. Like yes, Elf on the Shelf, absolutely. Yes. Uh, which, by the way, we're gonna talk about Christmas traditions that need to be banned. Elf on the Shelf. Yeah, it's, like, it's not be a thing. It just go away. Yeah, absolutely. So okay, so there you go. Non sexual. For whatever reason, we started with Baby It's Cold Outside. The reason to ban that, honestly, the reason people want to ban that song is because it's sex. Not because it's rape, but because it's sexual. And my rationalization for that is we have a lot of songs, a whole lot of songs on the radio constantly that are about crime of one kind or another that no one has a problem with. There are, you know, gangster rap, of which I am a fan. Mm -hmm. much crime occurring in gangster rap um my favorite song by willie nelson is the ballad of poncho and lefty it's about cowboys being shot it's a beautiful song you should (laughs) look it up well and i also i don't want to be dismissive but the cleveland radio station that banned it did so in response to a rape survivor who was very triggered by the song every time she heard it which is a valid response, but also you can't. They, they also they also conducted a poll actually. Okay. About asking their listeners, which is is kind of a look. I I'm a huge. I hate banning things in general, despite how mm-hmm. I come off on this show having joked about <laughs> banning things like four times because I was banned from things as a kid, and that did me no good whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, Hannah but- grew up in a world without Harry Potter. <laughs> It's very sad for you. <laughs> Sorry for your loss. Just, 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 for, just for a little while. Just, just for, for a little while. while. She got better. She got better. I, I made it up. I make my students read it now. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> I, anyway, like the, the thing is, is that like, where, where is the difference between like banning something and like just not playing something because tastes have changed over time? Because like there are a million Christmas songs that have been like discarded. Or and, and like cheesy Christmas movies. Like, are we going to replay every Hallmark movie that's ever been made? Right. Nobody's listening to Grandma Got Ran Over by a Reindeer anymore. No. I mean, I think that's a really good point. I think the most compelling case against 
maybe it's cold outside. Is that there are people in the world who say that they are triggered by it? And to the degree that's the case, I think it's important to hear what those people are saying and determine in what context, like, and to what degree they're, you know, having those experiences. And if, if this does like conjure up traumas for people that I think that's worth talking about, um, you know, rather than the objective merits of the song. But I mean, as Hannah was saying, does that extend to other songs? I mean, so last week we did a show on Hallmark Netflix Lifetime Christmas movies, right? A lot of them are just objectively horrible as far as the presentation of gender roles. They're not, they're certainly not at least not the ones being made recently tend to not be super rapey, but super problematic in many, many ways and many, many other ways. And if you go back far enough, a lot of the Christmas movies can be that way. So do we have that feeling about all culture in general? And why do we only pay attention when it's this issue as opposed to, you know, the rest of the year when we're not worried about things like violence or, you know, horrific things on in media, real or fictional ever? Yeah, but here watching a Hallmark movie isn't really comparable to, you know, walking through the mall and hearing a particular Christmas song. Like, I mean, there's just like practical considerations there that I think make those. Um, yeah. Because you have to opt into a Hallmark movie in ways that you don't necessarily have to opt into hearing a particular song while you walk through the mall. Right. We definitely shouldn't force people to watch Hallmark movies. I think we can all agree <laughs> on that. But should we be forcing people to listen to baby? It's cold outside on the radio. When they just want to hear good old innocent uh, police state Christmas music. I mean, oh. I, I am not like a fan of banning songs or with particular content off of radio stations or. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where the question came up earlier in the episode when I said when I asked if stations should be um, in charge of censoring content and. My thought is that they shouldn't be and that people should just not listen to what they don't want to listen to, you know, should just turn it off. But I don't know. But I don't know what, what the rest of you think about that. Yeah. So as usual, we have resolved nothing whatsoever. Um, <laughs> except and actually, Baby It's Cold Side isn't even really a Christmas song. So no, but, here we are. which is which I mean, we didn't get into that at all. But like. So many of the Christmas songs aren't really Christmas. I mean, there's nothing Christmassy about it. It's just that it's winter and, you know, I'd really like to have sex with you, which is, you know, also the same thing with Let It Snow. They become delightful things for children to sing door to door. <laughs> you know, in Mississippi, I felt really left out because of all the snow songs. All right, I did it again. Uh, I would like to thank all of our guests this week for showing up and Natalie, especially for giving us a topic to sort of you know, dissect this holiday season. Thanks, Nat. Anytime, you know, next year, I'm just going to give them this podcast. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, please do. We need to get our listenership up. <laughs> I would like to thank Jesse and PJ. What is your show? Tell people about it. What is the Peep Show podcast and where can people find it? Um, the Peep Show podcast is a sex and social justice podcast that um, is topical every every issue or every episode we talk about a different topic regarding sex and social justice and we typically bring on sex workers and artists and writers and activists who are working within the sex industry or 
in sex adjacent fields. And you can find it anywhere that podcasts can be found. You can find us on social media, on Instagram at peepshow underscore podcast, on Twitter at peep underscore cast. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and Spotify and SoundCloud and all of the places that you can find podcasts. And they will be linked in the show notes, of course. Palindrome, Hannah. (laughs) Where will people find you talking about Kesha? I'm sorry, I hear the dog in the background. Uh, (laughs) It's a baby. Sorry. <laughs> I heard a dog earlier. I- now, just so you know, because this is the end of the show where things always get silly. Normally, that would have been edited out, but it hasn't been because I just think it's hilarious. I hear the dog in the background. No, that's a baby. <laughs> it's a compliment. Dogs are cute. Um. <laughs> All right. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Hanley Rogers and like half the things on this show. It's all not serious and all nonsense. So it's actually much more nonsense. Now you, you were very serious there for a good few weeks leading up to November. Yeah. yeah. Well, now it's nonsense. <laughs> nonsense and Kesha. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell you listen to podcasts from. I don't know how it works. If you subscribe to the show, even if you don't, leave us a review for five stars. It helps us live on in rankings and magic happens and no one understands it. I ask every time there's another podcast host on. Guys, do you know how iTunes rankings work? Uh, no, I don't know how they work. <laughs> that is literally the answer that every podcast <laughs> cast host has done. Yeah, no one knows how they work. We just know that reviews are really are really important. And it's Christmas. And all I want for Christmas is for you to show you that you love me. I need your love. I am very sad. It's the holidays. I will cry. You don't want that. Please leave us a review. That helps the show. Uh, You can follow us on the blog in order to find out about future topics and chime in and give comments that we will discuss on the air. And I'd like to, as always, thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epically building epic theme song that's not very Christmassy at all, but that is playing us out right now. And as always, I'd like to thank you for listening. And thanks again, guys, for being on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. (laughs) We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So should I call you a cab? The baby's cold outside. You know, it's really not bad. The baby's cold outside. You can still catch the bus. Make breakfast it's now. a few bucks away. Tomorrow we'll hang out all day. I have a toothbrush I have a meeting at my work. The last guy who isn't a jerk. You really can't stay. It's starting to storm out. But baby, it's warm outside. Okay, I know this isn't my code. Can you take the trash when you're...